0: I think. Uh, so if you have your copy of God's word, uh, or you can read it here on the screen, we'll be in Luke uh 24, verses 13 uh to 35. This is a familiar passage. This is the road to Emmaus, the two disciples walking along with Christ. Um, but this uh contains a very straightforward. Uh, and a very simple truth of how we can know Jesus. Uh, so Lord willing, this, this straightforward truth will, will edify us. I hope that it will challenge us. Um, and so I hope uh, that those of you that were on Sunday school this morning don't feel doubled up. Uh, we had a, a wonderful lesson this morning on scripture, and uh, what a joy it is to, to have such a robust book that our God has given us. Uh, So I hope you don't feel doubled up too much, but the Lord in his providence had us uh, on a section that deals with scripture in many ways, uh, and he had us in Sunday school this morning dealing with scripture as well. But before we turn to our text this morning, won't you join me in prayer one more time? Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for scripture. We thank you for how your word points us to Christ. Uh, so, as we study this morning, won't you point us more and more to Christ and know that He is central in everything? So, Father, thank you. Uh, bless our study, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, here now from Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. May he add a blessing as we study it together. you're so vain you're so vain you probably think this song is about you and no i'm not going to sing it no one wants to hear that and if you don't know the song of which i'm speaking it's called you're so vain song that came out in 1972 it's by carly simon and you've already heard enough of that song this morning to know what it's about that is in fact the chorus you're so vain you probably think this song is about you you're so vain i bet you think this song is about you don't you however carly simon has never said publicly who this song is actually about in fact it has been one of uh the music industry's best kept secrets for nearly 50 years now uh no one really knows who the song is about. She's given some hints over the decades Uh, as she was writing the song. It was originally called bless you, Ben. That was the name of the song. Uh, No one knows who this Ben is. She's never said, but as she was working on the piece, as she was composing it uh, she was at a party one night and some celebrity, some unnamed celebrity walked in like he owned the place. And in her mind, And this is one of the lyrics of the song, like he was walking onto a yacht. So her own words. So she said when the song first came out in in 1972 and in the months and years that followed, that it was about men in general. Uh, But people pressured her and finally she admitted it's not just about men in general. Now, people have speculated that maybe it was Mick Jagger or James Taylor who are the subjects of the song, uh, but Carly Simon since then has come out and said that it's about as it's about as many people as up to three different men. She's revealed three letters of a name of one of the subjects of this song: A, E, and R. That's happened in different interviews over the years. Uh, she had a relationship for for a while with uh, an actor and a director named Warren Beatty. So those letters, A, R, and E, would fit into his name. Uh, Beatty has come out and said, yeah, the song's definitely about me. Um, But in truth, there may only be a handful of people who know who the song is actually about. She's told a few people in confidence over the years. Uh, Most notably, she auctioned the information off uh, for a charity in 2003, with the condition, of course, that whoever won the bid uh, didn't reveal the information once they found out. And so the confusion continues. Who is this song about? But it's not really uh, confusion, is it? It's, it's more of an incompleteness. We have a few clues, a few letters. So really, it's, it's incomplete, So as much fun and and as much uh, consternation as uh, she's created with her words, as we come to our text this morning, we see these disciples, these two walking on the road to Emmaus, who are so close, aren't they? They're so close to the truth, but they're not fully at the gospel because they don't know the resurrected Lord. They don't know the resurrected Jesus that scripture points them to and has been pointing them to all along. So as they're walking, Christ joins them, and they're on that walk. He points them back to the word of God. He invites their request to join them for a meal, and so he joins them. They break bread together, and then they recognize him through this this breaking of bread. So while Carly Simon's words have hidden who her song is about, and we just have a few clues, Christ here in our text is giving us the tools to know who he is. He's giving us the means of grace, the tools to know Christ. So this afternoon, first, we're going to look at what's missing, and then we'll look at how we can know Christ. What's missing, then how we can know Christ. So as we begin, first we see the disciples are close. They're so close, but they're so incomplete. And here's what I mean by, by close, but incomplete. Have you ever felt like time slowed down as you watched something It's that it's that scene in a movie when someone shoots a basketball and the camera zooms in right on the ball and you see it spinning and you're waiting to see whether it's going to go in or not. And because it's a movie, it goes in. Right. But it's that that moment. It's that moment when time slows down and you're looking at the basketball, wondering if it's going to go in. Another way to think about it, I know many of you are teachers or have been teachers or you've homeschooled uh, and you have that student that's just not getting it and you work with them all semester or all year and you're hoping that somehow they'll they'll understand. So you open up their final project or you read their final paper and uh, you, you read it and you just... Uh, they're just not quite there they're so close but they're just not getting the concept the way that that you would hoped they would. That happened to me one time. I wrote a pretty long paper in seminary, and I started out with this this theory about the Book of Ephesians. And I thought there's this quote in Ephesians from the Old Testament. It, it's going to drive Paul's whole theology. So I dug in and, and I translated lots of things. I did lots of grammatical studies, and I I read journal entries. And I came to the end, and I said, Yeah, I'm I'm just I'm wrong. That's that's not it. Um. I was really close, and I had a really good idea, but I was uh, I was missing something. So that's what's happening with these disciples. They're so close, but they are missing the detail. And they're not the only ones. If you recall what we studied last week with Pastor Kerr, the women return from the tomb. They've, they've been to the empty tomb. They've had angels remind them, and they, they relate to this. And those that are with the 11, they just say, this is an idle tale, and they, they don't believe it. But Peter, to his credit, he gets up, and he runs to the tomb, and then he looks in. And here in, our, in, in Luke, he marvels. He goes into the empty tomb, and he marvels. Now, perhaps this is the moment when when Peter believed another gospel says that it is, but the way that Luke presents it, he says that he marvels. He hasn't had this vision of these angels. He hasn't seen the angels as the women have. He hasn't yet had this encounter with Christ, and there he is standing in the empty tomb, wondering, marveling. Perhaps it's the beginning of belief but he's close and he's not quite there. And, and the others that were with him, of course, were, are in the same boat. And we know that Thomas wasn't convinced until he laid his eyes on Jesus and he saw Jesus there standing before him. It's, it's easy to judge and to say, how can you not get it? You're at the empty tomb. This You have to believe. You have to believe. But let's Remember the context of how this is happening. Our, our section begins, verse 13, that very day. And that very day is, is Sunday. The Last Supper happened on Thursday night. He was arrested that night, and he was taken to Pilate and tried. And Well, he was tried before the priests, before that, then taken to Pilate. Then he's taken to Herod, and then back to Pilate. And finally, he's crucified on Friday. And then Saturday is the Sabbath. So nothing happens on the Sabbath because they're observing the law. They're observing the commandment. And then Sunday, the women go, they prepare spices. They're going to give Jesus a proper burial. They have barely had time to acknowledge that Jesus has died. They said, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. All of their hopes are thinking he's the Messiah. He's the one. They haven't even had time to come to grips with his death yet. It's been, you know, by, by the way they counted, it's been three days, but the way that we counted, it's barely been, you know, 36 hours. So that very day, Cleopas and another, they head back to Emmaus. We understand that they'd, they'd been with the 11 and some of the others when they come back. Verse 24, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. Uh, But him, that's Jesus, him, they did not see. They're so close. They're so close to understanding the resurrected Jesus, but they're not there. And that's the piece they're missing. They're missing the truth of the resurrection. But listen to what they say. As Jesus approaches them and listens to their conversation, somehow, some way, their eyes are kept from recognizing him. And they were certainly among the disciples. If they were there with the 11 on on Sunday morning, uh, they were certainly dedicated followers of Jesus. So they certainly would have heard him, probably would have seen him. So we can can really only speculate how this would have happened, how they would have uh, kept, but certainly some divine power that that Christ is concealing himself uh, for his purpose. And it's frustrating, isn't it? Because we want to say that if we were walking right beside Jesus, if we were walking right beside our Savior, that we'd recognize him. And we want that, that immediate knowledge. We want to just know him. Why can't it just be easy? Have any of you ever thought that, that if you had the chance to walk beside Christ, that what an amazing thing it would be just to walk beside your Savior? And how easy it must be that that your faith and your spiritual life would just flow so naturally after walking beside Christ in the flesh. I've thought that many times, and I I desire that. I long for that. and, and And I long for the day when I will be with Christ in glory and I get that chance. But I also have to recognize whether I'd be caught up in my own thoughts, my own opinions. Uh, of who Jesus should be, of what the scriptures say. Perhaps it would be me who is singing, I'm so vain, I think I know the scriptures better than the Savior does, than the Savior who wrote them does. So, in this desire we, we might have to be physically with Jesus and we want to take the place of, of Cleopas and, and the other disciple or, or the, the 12 that were walking with Jesus through his ministry, in that desire, we have to To come to the possibility, we have to admit the possibility that we might be Pharisees and not fishermen. See, the Pharisees were close too, perhaps not as close as the disciples, but they had the scriptures, they had the tradition, they had all of the things that God had given them to point them to Christ that they might know and be able to recognize him. But still, even walking beside him, their eyes were kept from knowing him. But they're close. They are so close. Listen to what they say, verse 19. Concerning Jesus, a man who was a prophet and mighty in word and deed before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped, now assuming that Since he's dead, he's not. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. And now it's the third day since these things happened. Do you hear how close they are? They have it right. He was certainly a prophet, mighty in word and deed, but he was so much more than that. They're right. He was given over to the chief priests and the rulers. They didn't blame the Romans. They get those details right. They knew who had instigated all of this. It was their own leaders, their own priests. And and he certainly was a prophet in their right. But they haven't seen him for who he really is yet. They haven't seen him. Their eyes were kept from recognizing. So what does Jesus do? He doesn't just pull off the disguise and show himself in his shining and magnificent glory. And he could have. But he does something different. He points them back to the word. He points them back to scripture. and He points them some other places as well. And we'll deal with that as, as we get there. But first, he begins with scripture and he points them back to the Bible he cries out to them, verse 25, "O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory?" His first reaction to their statement is to question whether they believe what the prophets have said. Do you believe what's recorded in Scripture? Do you believe what has been written down for you in the Bible? Maybe he's asking them, do you believe that Isaiah was right when he wrote about a suffering Savior in chapter 53? Do you believe what Jeremiah wrote about a new covenant for the forgiveness of sins? Do you believe what Ezekiel said about God who would give us a heart of flesh and take away our heart of stone? Do you believe what Malachi says about the return of Elijah to announce the day of the Lord is coming? He goes right back to scripture. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just stop with the prophets. He goes all the way back to Moses. He goes back to the beginning, and he teaches them in the scriptures all things concerning himself. Can you imagine being part of that Bible study? Like, can you imagine Christ himself teaching you all of those things? That's something I look forward to. But have you ever had perhaps a sliver of that? Have you ever had something that just so radically changed you out of the Bible? This opened your eyes to what scripture is teaching. It's a wonderful experience, and and I hope that it happens, and it happens continually for you all. Something like that happened uh, to me a few years ago when I, I heard a sermon by Tim Keller, and he takes this idea that all of scripture is about Jesus, and he walks through some of the main figures through the old Testament. Now, we don't know what Jesus said to them, simply that he'd walked them through the scriptures concerning himself. But maybe he began in the same way that, that Tim Keller did. So listen to what Keller says. Uh, he says it much better than I could say it. So I'm, I'm going to read uh, a pretty long quote of his. So this is, uh, this is what Tim Keller says Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed a test in a garden. His garden, a much tougher garden. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and to go into the void, not knowing whither he went. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. While God said, now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. So now we, at the foot of the cross, can say, we know that you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love, from me. He's the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve. He's the true and better Joseph who is at the right hand of the king and forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses who was struck with the rod of God's justice and now gives water in the desert. He's the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who intercedes with God to save his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better Esther who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but a heavenly one. Who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life. Who didn't just say, if I perish, I perish. But he said, when I perish, I perish for them to save my people. He's the real Passover lamb, the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, and the true king. Friends, if you want to know Jesus, pay attention to how he tells you to seek him. Find him in the scriptures. He could have revealed himself with his divine power and glory right there to Cleopas and the other. He could give each one of us a Damascus road experience like Paul, but he does not. He is the resurrected Lord and Savior. And just as it was ordained that Jesus would call a people to himself, so God also ordains the means by which we know him. And first, that's the scriptures. Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Joshua 1, 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. As we heard a few months ago from Pastor Rob Hill in James chapter 1, we are to receive with meekness the implanted word. Brothers and sisters, if you want to know Jesus, read the Bible. Largely, that's what this passage has to say to us. It points us to the truth of Jesus that scripture bears witness about him. It bears witness to his coming as one of us, his death and his sacrifice, and his resurrection. That's where scripture points us. But it's not the only means that he's given us that we might know him. Start with scripture, but He's also given us prayer. Look at verse 28. They've reached the village and Jesus acts as if he's going on farther. But they implore him, they entreat him, they urge him to join them. So he does. He invites their questions. He accepts their invitation. He invites their conversation. He listens to their concerns. He speaks with them. And he leads them through the scripture. So, how can you know Jesus? Pray, spend time with him, ask him. The two disciples they, they asked him to join for a meal and he accepts. He acts as if he's going further, but they ask and he grants their request. So pray, pray and spend time with him. Make your desires known to God. Confess your sin. Give thanks to him. That's what prayer is. It's a time that we can make our desires known. It's a time to confess. It's a time to give thanks. Also, pray through what you read. Prayer and scripture are so linked in this way. Pray that God would open the scriptures that you might see more of him. You're asking him to show you more of himself while you're reading about him. What more thorough situation could we have than asking the person who wrote it to show me more about what you mean by it while you're talking to him? Pray that God would open the scriptures, that you can see him more. And finally, the third means of grace, the third tool by by which we can know the Lord and seek him is through the sacraments. When they come inside, they, they share a meal, verse 30. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. It's in the breaking of bread that they recognize Christ. The sacraments, both communion and, and baptism, are, are signs and seals of the covenant of grace. This covenant of of grace made with Christ, that that Christ would redeem his people, that he would offer grace to us when we cannot save ourselves. They are signs and seals of that covenant. They were instituted by God. Christ, we we read each week the words of institution, either from Mark or from 1 Corinthians or one of the other gospels. And then, of course, at the Great uh, Commission, Christ says, go into all the world and to baptize. God has instituted these sacraments, and they, what they do is they represent Christ. They represent his benefits to us. They are visual gospels. They're visual reminders of who Christ is and what he has done with us. So what are the sacraments given to us that we might see Christ, and that our interest in him might be confirmed that we know that we belong to him that's why they're given to us we also see in the sacraments a picture of of this uniting that we are united to christ and we're united to each other that's why when we come to the table we hold the elements we eat all together at the same time and we drink all together at the same time as a symbol of our unity that's why we try to use the same elements that some people aren't eating thick, leavened wheat bread and others are eating uh, the thin masa that we typically use. We want to recognize the importance of the unity that we have. And in baptism, we remember that Christ was the anointed one. He was the Messiah. And so we are anointed with water in baptism. So, if you wish to know Christ, if you can honestly say that you desire to know him and you've not followed through in baptism, you have not followed through and joined the church and you come to the table of the Lord's Supper, you're cutting yourself off from a way that we can know the Lord. Now, if you're holding off on coming to the table because you don't feel that you're ready or that you are assured or that you don't belong to Christ, I would encourage you to. To read the larger catechism, there's a question. May one who doubts of their being in Christ come to the Lord's Supper? And the answer, one who doubts of his being in Christ or of his due preparation to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, he may have true interest in Christ, though he's not assured thereof. In other words, you really belong to the Lord. You just aren't assured of it. And if he desires to be found in Christ and to depart from iniquity, he is to bewail his unbelief and labor to have his doubts resolved. In other words, Christ, I believe, help my unbelief. And in so doing, the final sentence of the answer to this question, and in so doing, he may and ought to come to the Lord's Supper that he may be further strengthened. In other words, come to the table. The table is a place where our weak faith is strengthened. If you want to know Christ, but you're not sure, then I encourage you to consider making that public proclamation of your faith. Join the church and come to the table. Friends, it's, it's very easy to say that we want to know Christ. It's very easy to be in a Christian environment and to say these things, but too often our actions betray us. We say that we want to know him, but we neglect reading the scriptures. We say that we want to know him, but our lives are not marked by prayer, but by prayerlessness and sinful worry. We say that we want to know him, but church is just a place. It's just a routine. Not a chance to come to the table and have the grace of Christ strengthen our faith. So the disciples were close. They knew part of the truth. But it was incomplete. They were missing the truth of the resurrection. They were missing the full truth of who Christ is. He is the risen Lord. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Scripture points to Jesus. It testifies that he is the resurrection and the life and that no one comes to the Father but through him. So if you want to know him, read, pray, come to the sacraments. It's not a secret. There's nothing special or or complicated about it. This is what this passage is calling us to do, to read, to pray, and to come to the sacraments. So yes, we might long for the day when we, we want to walk side by side with our Savior and listen to him tell us all about himself. Now, day is coming. Day is coming in glory. But until then, he's given us these ways that we can know him. He's given us the Bible. He's given us prayer. He's given us the sacraments. And so maybe... You you don't know Christ, and you want to come to know him. Where can you find him? You can find him in the scriptures. You can find him in prayer. Maybe you don't feel that you have a complete picture of Jesus. And so you want to know him more. Well, come to the scriptures. Pray. Come to the sacraments. And maybe, I pray that this isn't the case, but maybe we're so vain we think we know him fully. And if that's the case, then read the Bible and pray and come to the sacraments and find out how much more there is to learn about him. So friends, if you want your hearts to burn like it did for these two, if you want your hearts to be enlivened in such a way that they're, that as Cleopas and the others say, their hearts burned within them as Jesus opened the scriptures. If you want that passion, pray, (laughs) read, come to the sacraments. Take the sacrament seriously. Take reading scripture seriously. Take praying seriously. So now as we close, why don't we do one of those things together that the Lord has given us that we can know him? I want you to join me in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are really good. You are a great and awesome God who knows us. A great and awesome God who loves us but you're not distant. You're not far off. You are a great and awesome Lord who draws near to us. And you've given us ways that we can know you, that we can communicate with you, and that we can see signs of your covenant, that we can be reminded visually of the truth of the resurrected Christ. We can read of the truth of the resurrected Christ, and we can pray in his name. Lord, you are so close to us. So, thank you for being close. Thank you for these tools that you've given us that we can know you more. So, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.